Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Wonderful. All right. You can grab your seats. Thanks so much. Great to be with you again. And uh, really excited about being here tonight, sharing God's Word with everyone. And uh, Tim, I can't believe you fit in that drum kit. Look at him bent over. Yeah, that's right. Look, I could like walk under this thing. Poor Tim's sitting down bumping his head on that. Oh, it's good to see the Nephilim alive. Hey, I want to take some time tonight to, uh, to share and to preach on. I've called it Jesus in religion out. Jesus in religion out. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 13, why don't we kick off right into it. Luke chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 10. And it says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and, and was bent over and in no way could raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. He laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. I just love this story. Here's someone who'd battled with something for 18 years and she'd been coming to services. But one touch from Jesus and she received her miracle and got a touch that transformed her life. I love this story. In fact, I love this woman. I think she's awesome. I think the fact that she's been unwell for 18 years and yet herself in church is brilliant. You know, she didn't let circumstance dictate her commitment or whatever. She understood that, if, you know, it doesn't matter what happens, I'm going to find myself in God's house and praise God she did. Because imagine if she'd given up after 17 years. She would never have got God's healing, but she persisted. And, and the thing is, maybe she was there for the first time. It's, it's highly unlikely, being a Jewish woman, that that was a first time for her. More than likely, she'd been there the whole 18 years. But, but I'm, I'm not surprised that she didn't get a miracle. In fact, I know why she didn't get a miracle. Because she was going to a church where the pastor was a moron. Oh, maybe, no, no. But, but she was going somewhere where the pastor was totally religious. Let me tell you what I'm talking about because we read up to verse 13. If you go to verse 14, this is what it says. But the ruler of the synagogue, here's the pastor, here's the guy in charge. It says he answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them. Don't come to church on Sunday and receive from God. <laughs> I, I mean, it's crazy even to think, how, can you even imagine what that would look like? Someone comes and gets incredibly healed and we get up there and say, hey, there's six days for that and today's not the day. I mean, what's this guy thinking? And, and it's easy for us to look and think, man, this guy's a, I mean, imagine that I would never do something. I would never be caught up in a religious spirit like that. Or would we? Or would we? Because sometimes I think, I actually think that one of the, the greatest challenges 
on the, of the Christian walk is to keep religion out of our life and out of our churches. Because it wants to come in. In fact, the constant threat for God's people from Abraham to is the threat of religion. Because for some reason, as people, what we want to do is we want to pigeonhole God. We want to put him in nice little boxes or we want a God that has little checklists next to him that we can tick this and tick this and tick this. There's something humankind that, that wants to pigeonhole, box in, religify God. But there's one problem with that and his name is Jesus. Because Jesus came and Jesus is a loose cannon. I'm telling you, Jesus hates religion and Excuse me, that's my chest. Jesus, the one thing that he goes out of his way to give a certain group of people a hard time, and that is religious leaders. That is people trying to bring religion between the people and God. So I want to look at tonight, I want to look at a, a bit of a fed income idea of how do we keep religion out of our lives. Because let me tell you, I hate it, but I'm on guard against it. You know, I, I reckon it's a constant challenge. We're always leaning towards it. So how do we recognize it? And then how do we keep it out of our lives? How do we keep Jesus in and religion out? If we can keep Jesus at the center, let me tell you, life and Christianity will be exciting and fresh and vibrant and alive and powerful, but you've got to keep religion out. Here's the first way. I reckon if we, we can recognize it and keep it out, and we can keep Jesus in. The, the first way to recognize religion, whether it be creeping into our life or trying to make its way into, into a group of people, religion worries more about what's fair than what's right. Hey, if you read verse 14, it says, But the ruler of indignation. The word indignation means feeling unjust or unfair. The guy felt like it wasn't fair. Now the truth is all of us have this, this innate sense of justice within us, don't we? We want the good guy to win. That's kind of, you know, when I watch a movie... I watch movies where good guys win. I don't watch sad movies. In fact, I can't believe anybody would watch a sad movie. It's called entertainment, not depression. I, I can't believe some sick person out there even makes a sad movie. But, you know, when I watch a, when I watch a movie, I want to see good guys win and bad guys in body bags. That's just what I'm looking for in the movie. And I want to know that he gets the girl. All right, none of this movies where she dies in the last minute. It's like, are you kidding? I just wasted two hours of my life. If I wanted to be made sad, I'd go out and read the newspaper. I'm watching a movie. Right? We, we've got this sense of, of just and fair. You know, we like, we want life to be fair. We even talk about it all the time. We say, oh, well, it's not fair. We just say that, don't we? Oh, it's not fair. Or, or we say things like, oh, it wasn't a fair fight. We say, oh, well, fair's fair to our kids. Here's the deal. And I touched on this this morning. When did the Bible ever say life was fair? When did God ever say life was fair? In fact, the, the fact that fruit is bad, good for you and chocolate is bad for you proves life is unfair. <laughs> if you don't believe life's inherently unfair, just look at what's good for your body and look what's not. And look which is tasty and which is not. You know, like I, I'm committed to not eating fruit because the Bible says right at the beginning that they wreck the whole world by eating one piece of fruit. 
And so I'm trying to raise my kids in the way they should go. You know, Bible says it's not me, it's the Bible. And, uh, you know, and then what's it say in the New Testament? God sends down a sheet and he says, kill and eat. Not wash, rinse your salad and eat. He says, kill and eat. So I figure if I don't have to kill it, I shouldn't have to eat it. But anyway. Well, well, we, we want life and we think everything should be fair, but actually that's not the truth. And sometimes our, our false or our earthly sense of fear overrides what the Bible says a Christian should behave like. In fact, sometimes our sense of fear overrides what is actually right. Sometimes our sense of fear actually overrides what the Bible says is mercy. Sometimes fear overrides what Jesus taught about what is gracious. You see, this guy, he looked at Jesus and he looked at his actions and he just wanted justice because he broke the rules and, and, and that wasn't how he thought it should happen. How sad that a man could be so worried about fear that he missed what was right. He cared more about his ideas on how it should happen and how it should look and then people finding life and freedom. You know, Jesus addresses this as a parable in Matthew chapter 20. He talks in a story about a boss that hires some people. And he says there's a group of people hanging around in the marketplace and the boss comes and he says, hey, you want to come work for me? And, and they say, yeah, why not? And so they go and he puts them to work in his field. And a little bit later he goes back to the shopping center and there's some more people hanging around. And he says, hey, do you want to come work for me? And they say, yeah, absolutely. And so he hires them. And, and then he does this throughout the day. Finally, at the end of the day, they all come to get their wages. And the Bible describes the fact that the, the people who were first hired get a little bit put out when they see that the people who were hired last get the same amount of money. And they come to the boss and say, well, what's this? Hey, we've been working all day. And these guys get the same amount of money. And Jesus said, the master said, hey, didn't you agree to work for that? They say, yeah. Well, what is it to you if I want to bless someone else? When I look at that parable, I think how sad that they're so caught up with what's fair that they were more worried about being fair than blessing somebody else. Jesus addresses this attitude that life should be fair. And, and when Jesus is church, he's more concerned with people actually being set free. Let, let me outline, how can this look? What do you mean he's, con he's concerned with fair? Well, have, have we ever been more worried about, you know, what someone said to us and therefore what our, what, what's fair for us to respond with rather than forgiveness? Have we ever rocked up and said, oh, you know, they can't do that in church. So-and-so's been here longer than them. Hey, are we about God's plan or our idea of fair? Oh, if you knew what their lifestyle used to be, you wouldn't be so quick to promote them. Or maybe, or maybe God's not less interested in what's fair and more interested in what his plan is. Oh, you don't, you don't know, we've done this, you know, like this for a hundred years. I know, but is it fresh? Is it inspired by the Holy Spirit? We've got to understand, why should that person be accepted? Their life is still a mess. I know. But Jesus doesn't have hoops for us to jump through. 
And sometimes, here's the deal. Was it fair that Jesus traded his life for ours? If we're going to down to fair, was it fair that Jesus, who was perfect and sinless, died for you and for me? Was it fair that he died knowing we would still make mistakes in the future? Was that fair? See, the challenge for us is sometimes we want mercy for us and fair for others. But the Bible teaches, no, no, religion cares about fair. Jesus cares about what's right, what's merciful, what's gracious, what's kingdom. Let's be a church. Let's be a people that are not worried about people finding fair, but people finding life. The first thing that religion does that wants to work its way in is religion is more worried about what's fair than what's right. Here's the second thing that I notice about religion is that religion cares more about rules than people. I I don't know about you, but I enjoy playing board games occasionally. I don't mind going out and having a good old board game night. But it's possible that my idea of board games and your idea of board games is a little bit different. Because when I go to play board games, things like Monopoly, it's my preferred method is to go and find someone or a group of people that are completely competitive. You know, people that just like, they got to win. I love to find those people, get them in a room and play a game with them and spend the entire night patronizing them. (laughs) It's one of the most entertaining things you can ever do with an evening of your life. You know, I, I I just think really, mate, if you have to win at Monopoly, you need to get out more. Like if you if you could walk away upset because you didn't win a board game, you got bigger issues than not winning a board game. You, you know, like oh, surely life's bigger than that. And so so I would love to do that. And what I normally find when you do that is you've got two types of players. You've got the players like me that don't really care about the rules. I'm there for a good time. But then you've got people who are very concerned with the rules. These are like rules, rules people. Like these guys care about the rules so bad that you do anything and they want to check it with the book. And in case you can't find the book, it doesn't matter because they've photocopied, laminated it and hidden it in their drawers. And you say, oh, the rules aren't here. Yeah, but I've got a spare copy. And I've got one in the safe in case the house burns down. I want to know what the rules are. They're rules, rules people, you know. And, you know, in our family, there was one or two of us and we just make rules up. And that was ultimately frustrating for rules, rules people because then they had to go through the whole book to find out that our rule wasn't actually a rule. It was so much fun. No, no, and you insisted it's a rule. You proved to me it's not. It was like a law court in our house trying to play board games. Great, entertaining. See, the guy in this story, he's a rules, rules guy. He's a rules, rules guy. In fact, he is so concerned about the rules that he's like, well, God can heal, but he do it on the Sabbath. That's against the rules. Sorry, mate, but here's the rule book. You can't heal today. It gets cranky because Jesus heals on the wrong day. I love Jesus' response. I love Jesus' response. Listen to it, verse 15. Uh, of, yeah, chapter 13, verse 15. Then the Lord answered, Jesus has just done a miracle, set someone free after 18 years. And this rules, rules guy starts losing it and bringing out the rule book to Jesus. This is his response. Then the Lord answered and said to him, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? 
So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it. I love the fact that Jesus says, think of it in there. I read the New King James and he says, think of it for 18 years and be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. When he throws think of it in there, it's just brilliant because what he's saying is, here's the deal. Shouldn't this woman think about it, you small, petty little man? Think of it. Put yourself in, get a reality check here, son. Think of it. Shouldn't she be set free? Because here's the deal. Jesus considers the person more important than the rules. That's what Jesus does. Jesus breaks rules for people. Let's think about it. Rahab, who was a prostitute, ended up in Jesus' genealogy. That's breaking the rules. David, he broke temple protocols. He murdered. He had adultery. He was the king of Israel, chosen man after God's own heart. Talk about breaking the rules. I don't even know if God can break those rules. What about King Cyrus, God's anointed? Hey, you can't call him God's anointed. One of God's people. Well, God breaks rules for people. He chooses someone outside of, watch, Mary, not even married, but impregnated with the Son of God. That's not in the rule book. That's very naughty. <laughs> Paul. Paul, Paul the Apostle, we watch it. He's, before he's in that cell pretending to be a good guy in the movie, he's killing Christians. You can't use that guy to inspire them and write half the New Testament. My goodness, and I love Jesus because Jesus breaks all the rules. And he breaks them for people. Think of it. He called a woman a dog just to get a reaction. Talk about antagonizing. Even Jesus loves antagonizing people. He just stirs up. Not only that, Jesus spat. Oh, we think he was polite. Jesus, now he's walking around spitting everywhere. And then he would play with his spit. And then he'd play with his spit and he wiped it on a blind guy. He played with his spit, wiped it on a blind guy and said, go for a wander through town, son. Talk about that. Politically incorrect, isn't he? Jesus is out of control. Jesus talked with women that were taboo. You know, he's hanging out with girls he shouldn't. Not only that, he brought free wine to a party. Everyone's getting wasted and Jesus rocks up with not a carton. He brings a whole thing of wine. Jesus is out. Jesus got temple rage. We think road rage is bad. You should see Jesus in church. He's as loose as. He's kicking tables over and pulling screens off of drum kits. Talk about breaking the rules. Jesus stole a kid's lunch. Yeah, exactly. We all preach, oh, you know, they got the lunch. Imagine if I rocked up here, right, and I had a chat with your kid out before kids' church. Say, what do you got for lunch, son? Oh, mum gave me an apple. Thanks, buddy. I wouldn't have been here tonight, would I? Jesus, he called his mate Satan out of anger. He's not very friendly. He watched the offering and then commented. Bit tight there, aren't we, Timmy? I mean, Jesus breaks the rules. I actually reckon we'd all be offended at Jesus. Jesus breaks the rules, but he, he doesn't give two rips about our preconceived religious ideas. All he cares about is people finding life. 
You see, it's so possible to be worried about the rules that we miss what's most important. You ever played chess with someone who's good at chess? I have. I'm terrible at it. They win in three moves. But, but if you play chess with someone, what they'll do is they'll be moving this piece and this piece and you're watching the pieces and then next minute they move this one and go, check And you go, how did that happen? You were watching the pieces and you missed the game. Sometimes as Christians, we can watch the pieces and we miss the game. Jesus is not interested in the rules and the regulations and the do it this way and that way. And this is my expectation. Jesus is concerned with people finding life and having their hearts transformed by the power of the gospel. You know, if people come into this place living with their partner or messed up with different vices and abuses or you have some colourful language or dress styles or lifestyles, you know what? Let's make sure they meet with Jesus and not the rule book. You know, one of the greatest compliments I ever got was after preaching. And a guy walked up and he said, mate, that was a good effing talk. <laughs> and I thought, compliment received. Because that's the guy that needed to hear it that night. I love it. Jesus breaks the rules because Jesus is concerned with people. And religion wants to tie you up in knots and make boxes to tick and hoops to jump through. And Jesus scraps them all and says, let me get to that person and bring life and healing and hope. I've got a couple of minutes to give you my last concept on on religion we just got to keep Jesus in and religion out and religion is worried about what's fair more than what's right Jesus religion is worried about rules over bringing life and then thirdly religion worries about what should have happened rather than what could have happened you see in in whichever verse it is he says hey there are six days on which men ought to work therefore come and be healed on them and not on the sabbath that's how it ought to have happened that's what he's worried about this is how it ought to look this is what ought to be uh when we were youth pastors um back many years ago i probably shouldn't give a location because people will get upset and so we were youth pastors and we had a great youth night and uh, during the youth night we had a bit of fun and we had some chickens at youth and we were just messing around and so we had the chickens we brought them out on stage and they're flapping about and messing around and then we went behind the stage and made some thumping sounds and we brought out two like frozen chooks and so, you know, we were just having, and I can't even remember why we did it, but we did it. And then afterwards, you know, we sort of sorted out the chickens. And then on Monday, I get a phone call. And, and someone rings up and they say, hey, um, I'm just wondering, did you have chickens or chooks at youth on Friday night? I said, yeah, yeah, we had chooks at youth on Friday night. She says, oh, okay, what'd you do? I said, we let them go. She goes, oh, well, I just would have you know that I'm actually an animal activist. And my daughter is an animal activist. And my brain, I, this is like Monday or Tuesday. I'm still churched over from the weekend. I'm still figuring out what's ways up. And, and, and my brain is going and she starts to lecture me on animal rights. But then my brain kicked in. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm so sorry. I think you've misunderstood. I'm actually an animal activist. She said, huh? I said, no, no. 
you've misunderstood. I, I am hugely for the rights and freedoms of animals. She said, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, let me ask you a question. How many, how many chooks have you seen down the beach lately? She said, well, none. I said, how many chooks have you seen roaming Maritidor free? She said, well, none. I said, well, now there's two. And she didn't know what to say. And I said, and I tell you what, if I have my way, we'll be releasing chooks and chickens over all the beaches. In fact, I can't believe we would lock them up on farms. They should have sand between their toes. They should see the sun coming down. They should have freedom to get salt in their wings. And I started to go on. Once you get on a roll, you've got to go with it. And, so, and then I just kept going till I heard beep, beep, beep. And I never heard from them again. She's so worried about what should happen, she missed what could happen. We could have started a chicken-free revolution. You might see wild chickens up the Australian coastline in the next decade because we let two go. What could happen? Who knows? See, religion, it wants to dwell on what should and what shouldn't and what ought you should do on this days. And well, Sometimes we look at people. And we say, well, this is how they should or how they shouldn't have behaved. This is who they were rather than who they are. Sometimes we look at who people were and we fail to make calculations on who God says they could be. See, religion looks at the past, but Jesus looks at the future. And sometimes we, we justify our religious spirit with this subtle idea of what I call the deserving broken or the deserving poor, or the deserving messed up. And, and in our heart or our head, this is what we say. Oh, well, they made their bed. Oh, well, they made their bad choices. This is the result of... Here's the deal. I, God spoke to me about that kind of attitude one day. We, uh, we were, again, in my youth days, and there was a guy who was causing all sorts of grief for me. And uh, he was actually out being a, he was being a real jerk to a lot of people. And uh, he was out messing with some of the girls and being a pain. And, and I got one phone call that just, yeah, sometimes as a pastor, you get a little angry. And I get a little bit upset. And I was like, mate, I'm going to teach this kid a lesson. And I wanted to use the fivefold ministry gift, but not the ones that are described in this book. <laughs> and so I was worked up. Because when I say kid, it was, it was a, a guy that was old enough to, to know better. And so I started getting worked up and, and I was, oh, that's it, you know. And, and I took it to prayer. That's always a bad mistake when you're angry. When you're angry, don't pray. God always makes you settle down. <laughs> and so I took it to prayer and, and God spoke to me and he said, hey, do you think that he is intending, deliberately trying to destroy his life. I was like, well, I suppose not. He's like, well, well, if he's not deliberately trying to do it, somewhere in his mixed up, broken state, somehow in his messed up filter, he has decided that this is the best way for him to find some sort of joy or life or peace or sense of worth. And it's wrong, but you're not going to get him back if you go and break relationship over what should have happened. 
You need to understand he's making these decisions out of brokenness and the path back is not more rules or anger or aggression. It's love. The path back wasn't to go and lose my cool at this guy. It was actually, I I had to learn that people make bad decisions and people do things and people mess up their lives, not because they want to. You know, someone in, in, in a bad way, they have somehow come to the conclusion that that is their best option. So even though they're broken, they're not deserving broken. They're just broken. And that's where Jesus looks and doesn't say, well, that's what should have happened. And that's what but he looks and says, imagine what could happen if they could get right with me. And rather than seeing this guy as an enemy, I had to turn and see him all of a sudden as a person that needed compassion and to be won back to Jesus Christ. He ought to know better. But let's make sure we don't lose him on the journey back. And so I think with this idea of the deserving broken, when I consider it, the reality is I deserved to be broken. If I'm looking at who deserves what, I deserved judgment. If I'm looking at who deserved what I deserved, the bed that I had made, I'm so glad God doesn't make me lie in it. Sometimes we want mercy for ourselves and fear for others. And we justify a religious spirit by thinking, yeah, they deserve it or they made their bed. No, no, you know what? They have made their bed, but I'm so glad that God's into giving new sheets out. I'm so glad that God's into making good ones. And we've got to be careful that we don't let a religious, self-righteous attitude put barriers up that are going to stop hurting broken people from coming to Jesus Christ. You know, life in church with a religious spirit, it'll leave people bound. They'll come in, they'll see the boxes that they can't tick, the hoops they can't jump through, the attitudes that they can't get past, or or, or the, the friends that they should have but they can't because they're looking at what they should have done rather than what they could be, and they'll walk out without their miracle. But one service with Jesus, one service with Jesus in the middle. And that woman's life was transformed forever. You know, when people come into this place, they only need one service if we keep Jesus in the middle. God, I just invite you right now. Lord, your presence. Lord, I love you so much. I'm so grateful that you didn't give me what I deserved. I'm so grateful, Lord, that your mercy and kindness is freely available to me every day the sun rises. There's fresh mercy and kindness that's available to me. God, I praise you for it. God, I praise you that Jesus broke the rules. Broke the rules and he broke what was fair and he broke what should have been because he loved each and every one of us so much. You know, maybe you're here tonight and you didn't know that God was willing to break every rule in the book to reach down into your life and bring healing and hope. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you have done. It does not matter where you have been. Jesus has broken the rule to reach out to you. Even in your own head, sometimes the people that say we deserve it is ourselves tonight there's people here and you feel like I don't deserve it I don't deserve it if this God is like me and I don't deserve that you do 
Jesus doesn't care whether you deserve it or not. He gave Himself that you could find hope and life and freedom and forgiveness and those things that have bound you. Like this woman, she was bent over for 18 years. It could have been a long time that you've been bent over under the weight of shame or the weight of past or the weight of mistakes or the weight of other people's decisions. But tonight, Jesus is here and He broke every rule to see that you don't leave this place bent over under that anymore. But you can walk out free, made whole. In fact, maybe we could bow our heads and close our eyes for one moment. And if you're here tonight, if you're here tonight, you need Jesus in your world. Maybe for the first time, maybe you've never made that decision or maybe, maybe somehow you slid into that religious mindset and Jesus became a set of boxes that you couldn't tick or you wouldn't tick or hoops that you refused to jump through. But tonight He's calling you back into a personal relationship with you. If that's you tonight, I would love to pray personally with you. I'd love to say, hey, Jesus is here. He wants to meet you. He wants to heal you, bring life and wholeness back into your world. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you tonight, give me a wave and I'm going to see your hand. Yeah, brilliant. See that hand. Who else? Yeah, up the back in the midst tonight needs to make that decision to allow the person of Jesus. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not even talking about church. I'm talking about Jesus. Come into your world and bring life and hope and peace. One more moment, if that's you. The Holy Spirit's drawing people. Yeah, great, I saw that hand up there. Fantastic people all over the place. Well, in just a couple of minutes, I I need to hand over. But I thought what I might do is bring those that have raised their hands. Here's what I'd love to do. I'm going to ask you to come down and I'm going to ask you to do it. Why? Because I want to shake your hand personally. I want to look you in the eye and I want to pray the prayer of faith with you. We don't do this to embarrass anyone or any other reason other than we want the privilege and the joy of seeing you step into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.